Okay, so last week we covered the offertory and that's all we made it through because there was so much in the offertory, all the different details of what we're offering up to God. And in the offertory of the Mass, we are presenting all of our offerings. We present, not just the priest, altar servers, anyone assisting at the altar. We present the bread and wine to God that He is going to bring back as Himself to us. We also present our alms, our tithes, our offerings to God as the first fruits. But remember this, and this is the only thing I want to remind us of today, regarding the offering, the offertory. In the offertory, we see that most profound relational transaction between God and His people take place. You see all of the right motions that show what Mass is all about at its core. And that's this. God's people gather together. They offer themselves. They offer the stuff of earth to God. And in the same meeting and in the same moment... God returns that offering with the self-offering of Himself. We offer to God stuff of earth. He blesses, He takes, He receives, and He offers right back to us the entirety of Himself for our life and for our salvation. And you see that very, very clearly in the offertory which spells out the motion of the entire Mass. Having done the offertory... The priest turns to the people, says, let us pray. And then he lifts up what are known as the secret prayers. They're literally called the secret prayers. Now, they're not called secret because they're supposed to be kept from everyone like a secret society. Okay, They're called secret because these are not the prayers. Remember how when the priest prays, we all pray with him, right? All right. These are not those prayers. These prayers are dedicated to the priest alone to lift up. That's why they're not said out loud. You're not supposed to join in. This is the priest praying to God. Okay. There's the same number of secret prayers as there is collects and post-communions for that day. And the first secret prayer that's prayed from the Mass that day is typically asking for what is God's desired effectiveness of the offerings that we have just lifted up to Him in the offertory. For example, the first secret prayer from today's Mass was this, I prayed, We offer unto Thee, O Lord, the gifts of our devotion. May they be pleasing unto Thee for the honor of all Thy saints, and through Thy mercy avail for our salvation. Okay? So that was a priest that the, the, the priest praised that prayer. Again, you see the whole motion again of Mass in that one prayer. We offer, right? We offer unto thee the gifts of our devotion. May they be pleasing to thee and all thy saints. And through thy mercy, avail for our salvation. Because you send yourself to us. Okay? And you are our salvation. Now the final two, one or two secret prayers, depending on how many prayers there are for the day, if there is a saint being remembered, it is asking for the intercession of that saint that everything that we have offered up 
be for our life and salvation as God offers back to us. It's entreating the saints to pray for us. Okay? And again in the Mass, remember that the saints in heaven and earth are not separate. And again, I love the statement by early Celtic Orthodox spirituality that believe that in the Mass the distance between heaven and earth becomes extremely thin. They like to say that the place where God's people worship is a thin place because of that. It's a place where we experience all of God's people and Himself. So these other secret prayers are prayed, asking for the saint of the day to pray for us. Okay. Once I have concluded the secret prayers, or the priest, whoever the celebrant is, concludes the secret prayers, you hear the announcement, let us pray for the whole state of Christ's church. We're going to pray some things. And what I want us to do, each one is broken down. I believe that there are six different prayers. That not the priest, but we all are to lift up, even though the priest is mouthing the words. Okay? So, let's take a look at these. What I'm going to do, I want to go through these, each individually. Make sure you understand the meaning of what we are praying. It does no good if we don't understand what we're considering. Right? We worship God with our intellect as well as our bodies and souls and so on. So we start, let us pray for the whole state of Christ's church. Again, I'm on page 21 in the booklet. Almighty and ever-living God, who by thy holy apostle has taught us to make prayers and supplications and to give thanks for all men. We humbly beseech Thee most mercifully to accept these our alms and oblations and to receive these our prayers, which we offer unto Thee, excuse me, offer unto Thy divine majesty, beseeching Thee to inspire continually the universal church with the spirit of truth, unity, and concord. And grant that all those who do confess Thy holy name may agree in the truth of Thy holy word and live in unity and godly love. So there are two things in this prayer that is the focus. First, we are called to join Christ. Let's be very certain about this. We are called to join Christ in His intercession for all of us all of mankind interceding for the life of the world. Scripture is very, very clear. It says our Lord Jesus Christ intercedes with us, for us at all times. You understand that? So when we're talking about prayer, we are connecting in these prayers with the very intercessory prayer of God for mankind through Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we pray is we pray for the reception of what we've just offered. Okay? The priest has prayed in the secret prayers, Lord, receive these things for the salvation of the world. Then, we pray that, Lord, you would inspire the church toward truth, unity, and concord. Remember I mentioned that likeness of the Holy Trinity, how they, how they dwell in this absolute love, so absolute love that three persons somehow become one. Because there's such perfect deferral, cooperation, love between the three. This is what we're praying. Let your identity, the Holy Trinity, which we're engrafted into, let it fall upon your church. 
so that we experience it now amongst one another and so that the world can see your life, your likeness through your people, the body of Christ. That's the first set of prayers. The next paragraph is the second. We pray. We beseech thee also so to direct and dispose the hearts of all Christian rulers that they may truly and impartially administer justice to the punishment of wickedness and vice and to the maintenance of thy true religion and virtue. I want to be very clear what we're praying here because we're not praying for bishops. We're not praying for patriarchs, metropolitans. We are praying in this prayer for civil authorities. We are praying that the virtue of God in Christ would come through them towards their purpose. Remember what Scripture tells us and what the church teaches. God is the one that places all civil rulers in place, and He is the one that places all who oversee His church in place, and all for His great purposes, and all to glorify Him. So what are we praying? We're praying for all. We pray that it would be Christian rulers, that God through them would live out the justice of God in our land. The purpose of civil authority by God, part of that purpose is to protect society from the evil actions of evil men. And we need it desperately. Okay? So God places them there and we are praying that by God's likeness that His justice would be done and that we would be kept safe from the evil hand of men who are and practice evil. Make sense? So that's what we're praying for in that prayer. Let's go to the next one. Now we turn, having prayed for civil authorities, we turn to pray for spiritual authorities. Give grace, O Heavenly Father, to all bishops and other ministers, especially our Father and Metropolitan Joseph, our Bishop Basil, our Bishop John, that they, both by their life and doctrine, set forth Thy true and lively Word, and rightly and duly administer Thy holy sacraments. Now, Let me show you how the prayers for patriarchs, metropolitans, and so on happen. All of the metropolitans and bishops. The bishops will pray for their metropolitan and their patriarch. Okay? Our patriarch Ignatius, you know, patriarch of Antioch. Priests and all below that pray for bishops and their metropolitan. Okay? Because... Our Metropolitan is our Father. He is under the Patriarch of Antioch, so the bishops and the Metropolitan lift up the Patriarch. So that's how it gets divided up, which is why you see us referring and praying for our Metropolitan and our bishops. Now, what are we praying? We're praying that they would be the absolute living example of Jesus Christ to us. So directing the church as Christ would direct the church. That when we look at them, we see Him. And we form our lives towards that living example. 
It's the same thing, by the way. You know, the bishop is in the stead of the uh, I mean, the priest is in the stead of the bishop in a parish. This is the bishop's parish. It is not mine. Okay? And do you remember what Bishop John said? And of course, yeah, I got a bunch of phone calls about this one later on. He said, I don't work. Remember that? Doesn't feel like it. But he said, I don't work. But he was absolutely right about what the purpose of a priest is. It is to live among you as Jesus Christ. Well, who's that following the image of? Is the bishop not to do that? Is the metropolitan even more so not to do that? The patriarch? You see? So we're praying for the living example of the spiritual leaders of the church. That they would live among us in the truth of the faith that they teach and that they would rightly administer all of the holy sacraments. So we pray for those. Next, we pray, and to all thy people give thy heavenly grace. We've prayed for civil authorities, spiritual authorities. Now we pray for all of God's people. That they may get thy, that they may give thy, he may give thy heavenly grace, and especially to this congregation here present, that with meek heart and due reverence they may hear and receive thy holy word, truly serving thee in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. When it says that they may receive thy holy word, what are we praying? What are we praying? That they will receive who? Jesus. Jesus. The Word of God may be received in our midst, received into our lives. And we pray this Mass after Mass. Having prayed for the church, we continue in that prayer. And we most humbly beseech Thee of Thy goodness, O Lord, to comfort and succor all those who in this transitory life are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity. This is where we take time. You hear the list read, you hear it broken up, those who are sick, those who are traveling. The, you know, We break those prayer concerns up for the folks that we know in our body or in the families of those in our body who are suffering in some way or are in need of God to be with them, to direct them. Okay, We pray for all of us in that manner. And finally, we pray. And we, by the way, all of these prayers, I'm looking through them right now. Do you hear and I, and I, and I, or do you hear and we? These are the prayers of God's people praying with the intercessory heart of Jesus Christ in all of these subject matters. So we are to be attentive We are to offer up the prayers as if we're praying, thinking of folks. When you hear prayers for civil rulers, I pray you will pray for our president, our governor, civil authorities. In your mind, they come to your mind. We lift them up to God that His good purposes might be worked through them, right? We pray. And we conclude saying, And we also bless Thy holy name. For all Thy servants departed this life in faith and fear, in Thy faith and fear, beseeching Thee to grant them continual growth in Thy love and service, and to give us grace so to follow the good examples. And here we list again, Mary, the saints, that through their intercessions we may be partakers of Thy heavenly kingdom. 
Grant this, O Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. We're praying for those who have gone before us and then circling back around and asking God to let us partake in what they're partaking of, those who have died in you. The the great heavenly peace, existence with oneness in you forever. But then we say this, we ask our Lord to grant this, O Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. Don't let those words go too quickly. Consider who Jesus is as our mediator and advocate. We are acknowledging about Jesus and our understanding of who He is on our behalf. The words of 1 John in chapter 2. Let me read this to you. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You hear this read even in Mass. Remember what an advocate is. It would be too easy to say he's like a defense attorney, although that is a pretty good description. One who defends your position. One who defends and makes a greater and better way for you. Let me read St. Gregory of Nazianzus to you on Jesus Christ the Advocate. He writes, We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, not indeed someone who prostrates himself before the Father on our behalf. Such an idea is slavish and unworthy of the Spirit. But by what he suffered as man, he as the Word and Counselor persuades the Father to be patient with us. The position of Jesus Christ as advocate is the one who is constantly begging just like the servant was begging to the master. Jesus is not the servant. He's begging on our behalf. Be patient. Show mercy to this one. This one's mine. That's His posture in heaven towards every one of us. All of our sins. Pleading with the Lord to be patient. And in fact, if you look at Moses, you get a good picture of this. Because Moses is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. The church teaches that very clearly. And in Exodus chapter 32, it's when we have the golden calf incident, right? They just got into the desert. Moses has gone up for quite a long time to be with God on the top of the mountain. And the wrath of God, we are told, burned hot against His people. He knew what they were doing, that, that adulterous people down there, right? His anger burned hot, and they deserved the judgment of death. And we have in Exodus 32, Moses pleads with God. He says, God, how will you be glorified in the destruction of your people? Remember the covenant you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... And then He spoke the words of the covenant, where you said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which He said that He would do to His people. You see how Moses pleaded on behalf of the people. But he also pleaded that, Lord, glorify Yourself Glorify Yourself in Your mercy. 
Glorify yourself from who you really are. Glorify yourself as the one who keeps the covenant that he makes infinitely despite the humanity of the people. And it says God relents. It's a wonderful picture. Moses in that scene is the advocate for the people of Israel. And Jesus Christ in the same way is the advocate of all those who are in the church. Okay? So that's advocate. Now, what about mediator? He is the mediator. 1 Timothy 2 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there was one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. St. Ambrose comments on the mediatorship of Christ. He says, but when, excuse me, but what is he who is at once the most high and man? But the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for us, the text indeed refers properly to his incarnation. For our redemption was made by his blood, our pardon comes through His power. Our life is secured through His grace. He he gives as the Most High. He prays as man. The one is the office of the Creator, the other of a Redeemer. For it was fitting that our Maker should be our Redeemer. And a beautiful statement that he makes. Speaking of the mediatorship of Christ. Always remember this. Jesus Christ, the incarnate God-man, is the keeper of the covenant. I want you to get this. Jesus Christ is the keeper of the covenant, not you. Now that sounds weird. To be in the covenant established by Jesus Christ who offered Himself and shed His blood, we remain in Christ who is the keeper of the covenant. He gives us His grace by the Holy Spirit. He gives us His power to grow into His likeness. And in our transformation, theosis, we become more like Him and inherit salvation. But without Christ, there is no covenant keeping. Without Christ, there is no way possible for you and I to establish and stay in that covenant. And that is what St. Ambrose is saying, thanks to Jesus Christ, who being our Maker has become our Redeemer. Okay. Now, having concluded these prayers... Where do we look to our own lives? Where can we grow from doing these prayers, mass after mass? Where do we take that into our own spiritual lives? It actually is a pretty simple thought. You go from here and you continue to pray these intercessory prayers in Christ, with Christ. Let me ask you a question. Not to be answered out loud. How often are you praying for the civil leaders of our country pleading with God to pour out His likeness into them? 
How much are you praying for God's justice? Are we praying for God's justice to occur? God's justice, not ours. How often are we praying for our sick brothers and sisters in the body of Christ here and out, the names that we lift up? How many of us are praying for those who need guidance, are praying for our bishops? And I could go on. You get the point. And I wonder this sometimes. If all of us, myself included, and all of God's people would intercede with these prayers so much more often, what might God do in and through those prayers as we join with Christ's prayer? Because remember this, in prayer, we are invited into the prayer of Christ. We are invited into the experience of the life of the Holy Trinity when we pray. And Jesus says something very important and so very simply to His disciples at one point. He says, you have not because what? You ask not. Our prayers are by His invitation. And when we pray, we accept the invitation to pray in Him, to pray from Him, and to pray these very prayers given the church. And it's not about mouthing the exact words of the prayers. It's about interceding for all of these things that are so important in every aspect of life. And that God's will would be done in every aspect of life. The more and more that we focus in these prayers, remember every time that we do these prayers, carry them with you in prayer throughout the week until we meet again. Let God's people begin praying, not only in Mass, but on their beds. And you never know what you might see happen in the kingdom of God, in our country, in our world. May we grow in that, huh? So, we have concluded the memorial prayers, they're called. All of those prayers that we lifted up. Prayers for the whole state of Christ church. And now we move immediately from that to the general confession. This is found on page 22 and 23 in your booklets. And before we get into the general confession, there's a few things about this section that's important for us to know. And the first thing is this, and this is something the church absolutely teaches. The general confession that we do in the liturgy of St. Tikhon is absolutely not to be seen as a replacement for the sacrament of confession given the church. I'm going to say that again. The general confession we do in Mass does not replace the need for the sacrament of confession that God has given the church. That doesn't mean that when we do the general confession, we don't truly confess our sins, we don't receive absolution. You didn't hear me say that. But the sacrament of confession is given for the healing of our souls, for the guidance of our souls, not just to receive the forgiveness that Christ has offered us, but also to receive counsel, not from the priest, but from the Holy Spirit, as to how to go from there and live in such a way that you overcome those sins. You're forgiven, go and sin no more. In that time where the priest brings you before Christ, 
and stands with you and prays with you and blesses you with the power of the sign of the cross just to make confession and blesses you with the sign of the cross to receive the forgiveness of sins and the grace and the power to go and sin no more. That is still localized in the sacrament of confession. So the church teaches us very appropriately, don't see it as a replacement, please. In fact, the general confession has never been in any Mass or liturgy until the liturgy of St. Tikhon that we use. In fact, where the general confession used to reside in the church, is it best, and it still does, in Vespers. In Vespers in both the Eastern Rite and Western Rite churches, if you go to the Vespers, you will do a general confession. We do that at Vespers here. A little bit about the development of Tikhon so you understand what I'm saying. The earliest liturgy that the church ever had was the, was the liturgy of St. James, the half-brother of Jesus. It emanated out of Jerusalem. From there, in the mid-300s, two liturgies replaced the liturgy of St. James. And there could have been others. St. James is the only one that we actually have the form of. You can go online and Google the liturgy of St. James and see the whole liturgy. And it was one of the earliest liturgies of the church. But after a time, in the mid-300s, it was replaced by the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom and the liturgy of St. Gregory. Those two were done, again, like I said, just before Scripture was canonized. Now, these, these liturgies had been in use. They were just formalized under St. John Chrysostom and St. Gregory the Great. And these were the only liturgies used in the church for a long time when the church split... In the great schism of 1054, all churches from Rome and to the West, Europe and Spain, because the church had gone that direction, they continued to use St. Gregory. All the churches into the East, the other four patriarchates on into Russia as it would expand that way, would use the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, giving us what we call today, though I hate it, Eastern Rite and Western Rite. Both of the liturgies were used at the same time when there was one church. Okay? So, what happened is back in the late 1800s, a group of Episcopalian churches, Anglican churches actually in England, came knocking at the door of Orthodoxy, thinking about coming in. And they met up with Bishop Tikhon at that time. And their, one of their questions was, what in our worship can we hold fast to? What what is it that we can keep in the liturgy, if anything? And so what they did, this Holy Synod of Russia is what it was, they got together and they formed what we have as the liturgy of St. Tikhon. What they did was they took the liturgy of St. Gregory and then they allowed certain Anglican prayers to be kept in that liturgy. So when you put them together you now have the liturgy of St. Tikhon. One of the ones, for example, is the, prayer, the collect of purity that we pray at the beginning of Mass. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. That's an Anglican prayer. But the church said, yeah, it might be Anglican, but it's Orthodox. It gets to stay in there. The, the, act, the uh, general confession is another thing that they let them keep in the liturgy. It was not in, and is still today, not in the liturgy of St. Gregory. Okay? Now, why do I tell you that? Yes. There, the confidior is in the liturgy. The confidior absolutely is, and it is the prayers done by the priest and those serving at the altar. That is absolutely true, has always been in the Mass, in the liturgy. Thank you. Yes. Yes. 
Um, the reason I tell you that, it's not, I don't want to tell you we shouldn't be doing the general confession. The general confession is extremely helpful to us on our way up to meet with God. Okay, But what I want the reason I say this is because the reason they didn't have general confession in the liturgy for so long is simply because they didn't want anything. There was no purpose for it. You had the sacrament of confession to take care of your sins. So you make use of that sacrament, you see. That's why it was never put by the church into a liturgy until St. Tikhon. Yes? Okay. To me, I've always thought of the general confession as reflecting the confession of the body, the confession of all of us in our oneness. It is that. Absolutely. Say yes. Yeah. Of the sacrament of confession is a personal confession that unites, reunites us with God. Exactly. And what you're saying is that's exactly where I was going. It's a perfect timing to say that because in the general confession, the reality is you have both. All of the living stones, each one of you, myself, we're all living stones, right? And yet at the same time, we have all been put together by Christ to form the temple, yes? In the general confession is the sense of both. We are, I'm confessing just like you're confessing, and at the same time, we are lifting up together that oneness of confession, asking for purification of the body of Christ, all of us. So, very good point. So, knowing all this, again, I wanted to give you the history of that. To make the point, don't let it you know, steer you away from making use of the sacrament of confession where the grace of God abides for your healing. And at the same time, when you're in Mass make use of the confession as a continued preparation as we're moving ever closer to experience that absolute oneness with Christ. I look at the general confession sometimes as almost a last stop. <laughs> you know, last stop here. Let's is there anything, Lord, between is there anything I need to confess to you? <coughs> because here we come. I'm coming to you to stand before you the judge of all men. And I want to receive life. And so we make use of that general confession. Let's take a look at the general confession real quick. We start with the announcement that is made by the deacon, or if the deacon's not there, the priest makes it. Ye who do truly and earnestly repent you of your sins, and are in love and charity with your neighbors, and intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God, and walking from henceforth in His holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and make your humble confession to Almighty God devoutly kneeling. You know what that announcement does for us? It sets the framework for a good and right confession. And what is that framework? Let's take a look. You who do truly repent, you are truly sorrowful over what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that is sin in your life, that has damaged your soul or perhaps the souls of others. Secondly, do you love your neighbor? Love your neighbor. That there is no broken relationship between you and your neighbor. That there is no unforgiveness like we talked about in Mass today in your heart toward anyone. And then the third part, you fully intend to walk away from sin and in righteousness, bending the knee to God, walking by His grace to overcome. These are the things preparing our hearts 
for a confession that God will enter into, give you grace toward healing and forgiveness. But that's the framework of that confession. So let's look at the confession itself. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Maker of all things, Judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against Thy divine majesty, provoking most justly Thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For Thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please Thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of Thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We acknowledge Christ as the judge in that prayer. We express our grieved nature over our sins that we've committed, and get this, both by our actions, by our thoughts, by our words. All of it. It's all-encompassing. We acknowledge that without the mercy of God, we are deserving of death and the wrath of God being poured out upon us. For the wages of sin is what? death. And we ask for grace to go and sin no more. Now I encourage you as you go through that prayer, try your best even as you offer it up to allow the Holy Spirit, with this being the last confession we'll make before we come to His table. Is there anything in these areas? And just lift it up to Him in your mind, in your heart. Okay? Now the absolution is what is given next. Because of who God is, His faithfulness to forgive those who truly repent in the authority of the church, the priest gives the very cleansing and absolution to us all. But we don't stop there. Because as soon as the absolution is given, you are given some of the most blessed healing words by listening to the desire of God on your behalf when we get to those comfortable words that are said. You know, they're called comfortable words for a reason. They are to bring comfort to your weary souls. Having confessed to God, having received His forgiveness, they are to bring you comfort. They're to bring you comfort. That's why I love even the first one, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, I will refresh you. Hmm? And then there's this continual speak between Christ and Paul and John that Jesus wills that you be saved, will with Him, right? That's the desire of God. Father, it seems that this this really gives everything that you need except the uh, the one-on-one assurance uh, do, it, it, yeah, I see. What is it? What does this give, and compared to the sacrament of holy con, of confession? Yes. Okay. Here's what you don't get here, so to speak. In the sacrament of confession, you are not only praying the general prayer because you do, mm-hmm. but you are also before God 
by the acknowledgement of what He has shown you as sin in your life, mouthing those words to Him asking for forgiveness. You don't get that time for that relational transaction that occurs when you name the sins, the very specific sins that you have committed because the Holy Spirit has shown you that. And the other thing that you don't get is after the absolution, remember the priest sits and has been listening hopefully to you in Christ for a prescription towards your healing. You don't have that time of holy counsel with God and the priest, right? It covers every possible angle of sin. You're right. But that is, a, that is a, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a difference between those two. Okay. Yeah. Carol, were you going to say something? Look like, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to say something. So, what do we do with this as far as when we leave Mass? The general confession, and remember, everything in Mass is to shape us towards something every day. Okay? One of the hardest things for me, and I'm sure for you, is to live in such communion with God on a daily basis that we are receiving His loving correction, exposing our thoughts, helping us to not let them get from our thought to our mouth, right, sometimes. The general confession is a way of life. If you look at the way that the Christians are to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to walk in His ways, to be transformed from glory to glory as the Scriptures talk about, we should be doing confession even in our own homes. Hmm? Even in our cars sometimes, you road rage people. (laughs) Right? Need to. Need to sometimes, right? But no... The reason it should be part of our Christian existence on a daily, sometimes hourly way is because we are always in need of the mercy and grace and healing of God. And if we are more attentive to our souls in those moments, we will so much more rapidly see and experience that transformation in our lives, restoring peace where there's currently chaos. So where we go from here is we go to the Sursum Corda, lift up your hearts. We're going to look at that and we will begin next week looking into the canon of the Mass where everything is being offered and blessed and you'll see all of that and we'll look at what all of it means for us. Let's stay it.